Okay, let's get started. There's a policeman, and he's training three men who wanted to become detectives. To test their skills in recognizing a suspect, he shows the three guys a side-profile picture of a criminal for five seconds, and then he hides it. He says to the first guy, he says, now if this was your suspect, and you caught this, this image, this glimpse of him for mere five seconds, how would you recognize him? The first guy looks at him and says, well, that's an easy answer. The guy only has one eye. The policeman said, well, not exactly. The picture I showed you is his side profile. Of course he's going to have one eye. Slightly frustrated, or frustrated by his ridiculous response, he moves on to the next guy, flashes the picture to the second guy, and he asks him, now, if this was your suspect, what would you do to recognize him? The second guy smiles, flips his hair, and says, well, that's easy. That guy's only got one ear. The policeman now is getting frustrated, and he says, what's the matter with you guys? Of course, only one eye and one ear are showing because it's a side-profile picture. Is that the best you can do? So now he's extremely frustrated. He goes to the third guy, and he shows the third guy the same picture. And he says, now this is your suspect. If you had to recognize him, how would you recognize him? And I want you to think before you give me another dumb answer. The third guy looks at the picture and says, the suspect wears contact lenses. Well, the policeman's surprised by this, and he's a bit speechless because he really doesn't even know himself if the guy, if the suspect wears contacts or not. So he said, that's an interesting answer. He goes, wait here a few minutes. I'm going to go check his profile, and I'm going to see if you're right. So he leaves the room. He goes back to his office and looks at the suspect's file on his computer, and sure enough, he finds out that the suspect wears contact lenses. So he walks back into the room with a beaming smile on his face, and he says, wow. He goes, I can't believe it. It's true. The suspect does, in fact, wear contact lenses. Good work. He said, how in the world were you able to make such an amazing observation? Well, that's easy, the third guy replied. He can't wear glasses because he has only one eye and one ear. <laughs> well, there you go. There's your joke of the day, and you're asking, what does that have to do with today's message? Absolutely nothing. Amen. It's just a bonus. Consider it a blessing from the Lord. <laughs> okay. We're in the middle of a series right now that we're calling Set Free. Up to this point, we have talked about our enemy, Satan and his demons, and how the Word of God compares them to wolves. We spent a couple weeks on that. We've learned as a believer how he is constantly coming after you to keep you in bondage so you will be ineffective in winning other people to Christ. If you are a Christ follower, he has lost the battle for your soul, but he doesn't want you to make other disciples like Jesus commands us to do. So he comes at you to oppress you and to keep you into bondage. And he uses many strategies to do this. And one of the strategies that he uses is other people, including other Christians. He can influence other Christians to hurt you, and we talked about that in week three. However, I want to switch gears a bit today because I want you to know and to understand that although he can use other people to, to come at you and get at you, I want you to know and I want you to see that he can also influence you to hurt others. There have been times in my life 
where he has influenced me to hurt other people. I'm not immune to this and neither are you. So the question we're going to answer today is simply this. How does that happen? How do I give Satan permission to operate in my life? Joel chapter 2 and verse 9, when talking about the enemy, this is what he says. He says, they swarm over the city and run along its walls. They enter all the houses, now watch, climbing like thieves through the windows. Imagine for a moment you leave your home, you take your family uh, out to dinner, the back of the house, you all, everything is locked up, the, the front door is locked, the garage door is down, but in the back of the house, you leave a window open. So when you return home, you notice you pull into the driveway and you notice that there is a thief inside of your house. He didn't kick down the front door to get into your home. He came in easily through the window that you had left open. This gave him easy access into your home, and before you even knew what happened, the damage had been done. And this is exactly what happens to us, spiritually speaking. You see, spiritually, there are windows that we as believers can open, giving the enemy easy access into our home. We give him permission when we open these windows. Basically, what we're saying to him is, come on in. And before we even realize what has happened, the damage has been done. So we're going to be talking about these windows over the next couple of weeks. We're told in 1 John chapter 2 what these windows are. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, go ahead and turn there. 1 John chapter 2. And verse 15. We're only going to read uh, just a few verses today. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Three windows here, three windows listed, that if you open, you give the thief permission to come in. This is a choice. And I'm going to prove this to you in Scripture. If you don't have a Bible, you can stop by the hub and grab one at the end of service. We have them in both English and in Spanish. Okay, here we go. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to read verses 15 through 17. Here's what it says. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now watch this, verse 16. This is our key verse. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I'm calling this message this morning the first window. Father, for the next few moments, I ask that you would give me the mind of Christ, that you would give me the anointing that I need to present this word to your people. God, this is a, it's a difficult word today, but it's, it's important, God. And so, Father, I just ask in Jesus' name that my words would not be my own because, God, if they are, they would fall flat, they would be pointless. But, God, if you anoint them, they will go forth and they will change and transform lives for your glory. So, God, I just want to thank you, Lord, that you would do a work in the hearts of your people just like you've done a work in my heart on this very subject. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here we see the three windows that we can open 
to give the enemy permission to operate in our life. We see the desires of the flesh is a window. Desires of the eyes is a window. And the pride of life is a third window. I like how the New Living Translation translates this. Here is how it reads in the New Living Translation in verse 16. It says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. They're not from the Father, but they are from this world. So of these three windows, the window I'm going to talk to you about today has been the toughest window for me personally to keep closed. And unfortunately, you're going to see this window open in the life of many other believers and even more so with mature believers. I have found that the longer you follow Christ, the harder it is to keep this window closed. It's the same window the religious leaders had open when Jesus walked this earth. It's the window of pride. Of these three, this has been the toughest for me by far. Because here's what I've found in life. It, 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 the, the more God blesses me, the more favor God gives me, the harder it is for me to keep this window closed. What I've watched God do in this church over just the past two years, the favor He has given us, just look at our food pantry. This week I found out we have been now donated a walk-in cooler. Can you believe it? Isn't that amazing? I've been praying for a walk-in cooler. And God just shows up and says, here we go. I'll just give you one. How's that sound? But nothing short of miracles Guys, these are stories that we're seeing right now unfold that we're going to be talking about 20 years from now, and it's difficult to understand that when we're walking through it, but we'll look back and we'll talk about it later. But because of this and because of all of the favor that God has given us, I have to personally check this window every day because it's easy when God's blessing you that you can begin to start elevating yourself and either elevating your church above others. And I'd be lying if I, look, if I told you that this window is always closed when I check. Gosh, I wish it was. But there are times that I check and I see this window is cracked open and I can feel that cool breeze hitting me in the face. I'm just being real with you here. I'm not immune to this just because I have the title of pastor. It doesn't make me immune to this stuff. And if you say that you never struggle with keeping this window closed, then guess what? It's open right now. We have to inspect this window daily and not give in to the temptation to open it further when you feel the cool breeze hitting you in the face because you will feel the breeze hitting you in the face and it feels good. But it's our responsibility to keep this window of pride shut. Look at James chapter 4 and verse 10. James says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. We're told to humble ourselves. If we do this, God will then lift us up in honor. But if we don't do this, if we refuse to shut the window of pride, we are told in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18, what will eventually happen? It doesn't happen overnight. But eventually, this is what you see. Here's what we're told, Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. 
The word haughty is translated as arrogance. It's when you think you're better than other people. It's when we look at someone and say, boy, I'm glad I don't sin like that person over there. That's pride. It's when you see yourself as better than someone else, anybody else. Maybe they don't have the money you do, so you look down on them. Maybe they don't have the education you do, so you look down on them. Or let's make it more spiritual. Maybe they don't serve others as much as you do. It all stems from pride. And here's the funny thing about pride. Usually when pride is mentioned, many people are proud that they don't have pride. (laughs) And when I mention pride, I bet there are people in here today even, or people that are watching online that are saying, boy, this isn't for me, but my spouse sure needs to hear it. I wish my buddy Jim was here to hear it, but I'm good there. If that's you, if those are the words you're saying, be forewarned, your window's open right now. If you don't think you struggle with pride, your window's open. I'm going to show you two examples. I could show you many more, but for the sake of time, I'm going to show you just two. One from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. These are two examples of great men of God. Great men of God. These aren't unbelievers. Great men of God that had this window open in their life. I'm going to show you the result. You're going to clearly see it, the result of that window being open and what happened, and then the result of them closing the window. My first example is a man by the name of Job. We're going to read from Job chapter 1 and verse 1. Here's what it says. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless And upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So, this is a God fearing man. Now, the word blameless comes from the Hebrew word tom, which means having integrity or wholesome. So, Job is a man of integrity. Integrity is the person you are when no one is watching, the person you are when you're alone. That's the true you. You can be one person in front of some you know, group of people, but the person you are that when you're alone, that's, that's who you really are. Now, it doesn't say, don't get confused by this, it never says that Job is a sinless man. The Bible does not tell us that he was sinless. No man is sinless. He was blameless. There's a big difference. He had an outstanding reputation as a man who followed closely after God. However, he was not sinless. This man battled the same three windows that we all do. Verse 2, there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Great man of God. God had blessed him richly. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his, on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the three days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and he would offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. 
the Lord said to Satan. So what's happening is you see the story of Job and his family, and that's what's happening in the, in the physical realm. And then this story shifts, and we see a glimpse of what's happening in the spiritual realm. And that's what we're reading now. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth. He's a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Have you considered him? Notice who presents Job to Satan. God does. It's very interesting. Verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge of a hedge, a hedge around him and his house, and that everything he has on every side, basically saying, well, yeah, I can't even, I can't do anything to him. You've got your hand on him. You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But God, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand, basically all of his possessions. Only against him personally do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Here we see that permission, this is very important, permission is given to Satan to unleash his attack. Satan could not touch this man on this level unless permission had been granted. So why would God give him permission to do this? Let's keep reading verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed, remember, we talked about Chaldeans in week two of this series. The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your son, this is a bad day, guys. Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the people, and they're all dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then, so is, this is like one of those times in life that we've got like, <laughs> we got like one bad report after another bad report after another bad report. I'm sure we've all experienced that. Verse 20, then Job arose and he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell on the ground and he worshiped and he said naked i came from my mother's womb naked i shall return the lord gave the lord has taken away blessed be the name of the lord and all this job did not sin or charge god with wrong now you might say he's had a bit of a stressful day i mean and matt put yourself in his shoes for just a moment most people you've just lost everything everything your house is gone. Your job's gone. Your kids are gone. You've lost everything. You've nothing. Most people at this point would look at, look at God and curse him. Curse you, God. I mean, I've heard people curse God because they're short of rent money, let alone losing everything. 
You see, we like to blame everything that happens on God. Everything in life that happens, I'm going to blame it on you, God. But Job understood something very important. He understood that God did not do this to him. This was not God's fault. This was a direct attack of the enemy to destroy him. But wait a minute, Pastor. It says clearly that God gave permission. Yes, it does. This is, where you, this is what you've got to understand. God gave permission. Remember, God had his hand around Job. But God gave permission because Job had already given permission by leaving a window open. Job had given permission already. God just honored it. God honored his choice. So what window was open? Remember, Job was not sin-free. We see the open window in Job chapter 29. Now here's what it says. Job chapter 29, starting at verse number 1. And Job again took up his discourse, and he said, Oh, that I were as in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and by his light I walked through the darkness. As I was in my prime, when the friendship of God was upon my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were all around me, when my steps were washed with butter. So he's thinking about the days of old here. And the rock poured out for me streams of oil. Verse 7, now watch, when I went out to the gate of the city, when I prepared my seat in the square, the young men saw me and they withdrew and the age rose and they stood. The princes refrained from talking and they laid their hand on their mouth. This is in his presence. The voice of the nobles was hushed and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard, it called me blessed. And when the eye saw, it approved. Because, now watch, I delivered the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me and I caused, I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind. I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. And I searched out the cause of him who did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. Then I thought, I shall die in my nest. I shall multiply my days as the sand. My roots spread out to the waters with the dew all night on my branches. My glory fresh with me and my bow ever new in my hand. Men listened to me and waited and kept silent for my counsel. After I spoke, they did not speak again, and my word dropped upon them. They waited for me as for the rain, and they opened their mouths as for the spring rain. I smiled on them when they had no confidence, and the light of my face they did not cast down. I chose their way and sat as chief, and I lived like a king among his troops." like one who confronts mourners. Do you see the open window? You see what he says? You see, we like to blame God for everything without taking a hard look at ourselves first. It's easier to blame God than it is to look at myself and say, man, maybe I've done something wrong. Do you see what he says? He says, look at me. Look at what I've done. I've helped the poor. I've helped the fatherless. Men wait patiently for my counsel. When I speak, people sit in awe of what I'm saying. 
People come all from all over the world to hear me. Man, I'm like a king in the eyes of these people. Pride. You see, the window of pride is open in Job's life, giving the enemy permission to enter. Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Job gave the enemy permission. God just honored it. The thief comes in. The damage has been done. But watch what happens. Job chapter 42 and verse 5. Here you're going to see him close the window of pride. This is what he says. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. So after all of that, he said, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. I sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. He confesses his pride. He repents. In other words, he closes the window. And if you go on to read the rest of verse 42, you will see that God restores everything he lost. Double. Remember James 4.10, humble yourselves. It doesn't say humble, humble the person sitting next to you. <laughs> it says humble yourself. You work on yourself before the Lord. And then what happens? He lifts you up in honor. Pride is like that wall that will block God from blessing you. Job, Job ham, humbled himself, and now with that window closed, it gave God opportunity to come in and bless him. Let's look at another example. This one's found in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 31, it says, this is Jesus speaking here. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Same thing that's happening in the book of Job. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to both prison and death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. Now, this example is truly amazing to me. This is the New Testament. Jesus is talking to a believer. He's not just talking to a believer. He's talking to one of his own disciples. Not just a disciple. He's talking to one of his inner core. He had three people that were the closest to him, and Peter was one of them. This is one of the people on the earth that was with Jesus the most and followed him the closest. And he tells him, Satan has asked for permission to sift you like wheat. Again, we see that permission had to be granted for this type of attack. I want you to know something. When you are in the hand of God, there is not a weapon formed against you that can, can touch you. There's not a weapon formed against you that can prosper. Because when God surrounds you with his hand of protection, the enemy cannot get a foothold into your life. But we give the enemy a foothold when we decide to open a window. It's like, imagine this, you're living in a home made of thick concrete and steel that nothing can penetrate. They can fire the most, the, the most dangerous bomb at that house and nothing would penetrate it. But if you leave a window open, thank you, I'm going to, I love you, Curtis. When you leave a window open, 
it doesn't matter how strong the rest of the house is. Jesus tells Simon Peter that Satan demanded to have him. Now, the Greek lexicon definition of this word, the word demanded or asked, as it says in other translations, means to ask for something and receive what one asks for. To ask for with success. To ask and receive. So basically what Jesus is saying is, Simon, Peter, Satan has asked permission to attack you. And I want you to know because you've opened a window, permission's been granted. This is why Jesus says, I'm going to be praying for you so you do not fall. But only Peter can close the window. Well, what was the window? To get this answer, we have to look at the same account as told in Mark chapter 14 and verse 26. Here's what we read. Same account, different gospel. And when they'd sung a hymn... They went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now watch what Peter says. But he said empathetically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. They all said the same. So Jesus clearly tells them, his disciples, that they're all going to fall away. To back this up, he quotes scripture. And he says, guys, this has already been written. This is going to happen. This is what the word of God says. You're going to fall away. And look at how Peter responds. Not me. Those weaklings over there might fall, but not me. That's what he says. Even though they might fall, I might. I will not. I'm better than that. Jesus looks at him in the eye and says, actually, Peter, before you go to bed tonight, you're going to deny me three times. It's going to happen not tomorrow. It's going to happen tonight. Look at verse 31 again. But he said, empathetically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. They all said the same. See the word empathetically? The word translated from the Greek means excessively, insistent, forceful. Basically, he's saying, you are wrong, Jesus. You're wrong, pride. I can withstand. I can do it on my own. Everyone else around me might fall, but not me. Pride. His window's open. Satan asked to sift you, Peter. There's nothing I can do but pray for you because you have decided to open the window. He's got permission. We see further proof of the pride within Peter in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21. Here's what that says. He says, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter, here we go, Peter took him aside. So Jesus is saying, guys, I'm going to the cross. There's nothing you can do. It's going to happen. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him, saying, far far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, watch this, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your, your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus looks at one of his closest followers and says to him, 
get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. I'm telling you, if you still think that Christians can't come under the influence of demons, it's right there. Peter is his inner core, but Peter had a window open. And do you see the fruit of coming under the, when you allow the devil a foothold into your life? Your mind becomes fixated on the things of the world instead of the things of God. That's the fruit that you will see. That's what Jesus tells Peter. If you notice that fruit in your life where you constantly find yourself fixated on the things of the world more than the things of God, there is a good chance you have a window open. Peter says, that's never going to happen to you, Jesus. No one's going to kill you. Not on my watch. Jesus says, no, Peter, it will. The Bible says it will. Nope. Not while I'm standing here. I don't care what the Bible says, Jesus. I'm the exception to the rule. You got to love Peter. Pride. Fast forward, Jesus is arrested. Peter denies him just like Jesus said he would. Folded like a pancake under pressure. But then, just like Job, we see him repent. We see him humble himself, therefore closing the window. Once the window's closed and Jesus raises from the dead, we see in John chapter 21 that Jesus completely restores Peter back to his position of leadership and he blesses him tenfold of what he had before. He would end up winning thousands of people to Christ and start the church. On the day of Pentecost, Peter was the, was the main speaker to this crowd in Jerusalem. And 3,000 people came to Christ just in that day alone. Later, we see Peter heal a lame beggar in Acts chapter 3. We see him po- preach boldly before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4. Completely restored for the glory of God. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Opening windows is our choice. The way we close this window is by humbling ourselves. We humble ourselves through confession and through repentance. Repentance is a change of mind and direction. And I've done a message on that, messages on that before. So using these two examples, we could use more, but using these two examples of Peter and Job, there are two questions that, that we can ask ourselves to see if this window of pride is open in our life. Question number one, do I put my trust in my own strength? This is what Peter was guilty of. This is when you say or think things like, I can do it all myself. I don't need anyone. I don't need anything. Nobody tells me what I should do and I shouldn't do. It's my way or the highway. Practical example. Imagine a husband and wife, they're having trouble in their finances. That probably covers most married couples in here because finances are one of the top causes of divorce. They're having trouble. They complain about their money situation all the time, but when help is offered to them to get their finances in order, they continually refuse the help. They make excuses. Nah, we can do it. We can get it under control. We know what we're doing. The window of pride's open. And they would rather refuse outside help because they would rather put their trust in their own strength and because of that choice they're going to continue to struggle until they choose to finally shut this window and get help they're going to keep repeating the same cycle over and over and over again and I can use this as an example because it used to be us I'm guilty I don't want anybody to know that's pride 
I don't want anybody to know that's pride. Humility closes the window. Humility says this, you know what? I'm missing something here. Maybe I don't know what I'm doing after all. This is humility. Maybe I'm not as strong as I thought I was. Maybe my way isn't the best way. I need help. Will you show me another way? That's humility, and that's hard. Question two, do I put my trust in my own righteousness? Now, this is a big one if you've been following Christ for a while. Listen to me. This is what Job was guilty of. This is when we say things like, you know, with all the great things I have done, wait till you see my mansion in heaven. If I had a dime for every time I heard somebody say that, I've said it. (laughs) Or they say, I have served faithfully, I have given faithfully, and because of that I deserve more than that person. They haven't done what I've done. Jesus addresses this specific attitude with the parable of the vineyard workers found in Matthew chapter 20. Read that parable. It's really good. I'm not for time's sake. I'm not going to read it here. I believe it's verses 1 through 16, Matthew chapter 20. We can also fall into this trap at work. Time for promotion comes and someone else gets the promotion over you rather than trusting God and being happy for that person. We say, I deserve that more than they do. I work harder than them. And that may be true, but you got to be careful that that window of pride doesn't come open because if it does, you're going to find yourself angry, you're going to find yourself bitter, you're going to find yourself carrying resentment, and these things will eat at you. They will devour you. You know what the Word of God says about my righteousness? It's as filthy rags. Thank you, Curtis. That's how good my righteousness is. Filthy rags before the Lord. You know what? Humility says for me, I'm just trying to personalize this now. Says, God, you know what? I have served you faithfully now for almost 25 years. God, you have seen, I have moved my family all over to, to go where you've asked us to go. God, we have given up homes for you. We have given up wealth for you. God, I have fed the hungry and I have clothed people in need. I have sacrificed for you, God. But yet, God, despite all that I have done for you, I deserve nothing. And that's hard. That's humility. Pride is where we say, look at what I've done, God. A lot of other people wouldn't do this for you. I deserve a higher place of honor. Humility says I deserve nothing because my righteousness is as filthy rags. And God, the truth is, if you want me to scrub toilets for the rest of my life, then I will scrub toilets for the rest of my life. If you want me to scrub the rotten stains out of the car, I mean the blessed stains out of the carpet for you, God, the rest of my life, then God, I'll do that. I deserve nothing. Thank you, God, for giving me the strength to serve you. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to give one more message because I don't know if I'm going to have it next week. Who knows what happens in the week's time? Thank you, God, 
that I get to serve you. We have to be careful, listen to me, that we don't allow entitlement to creep in and open that window of pride because that attitude will destroy you. I've seen people struggle with pride that God has just removed everything because they thought they were entitled to this great position. I'm entitled to nothing, nothing. Pride comes before destruction. I'm going to close today. Actually, I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to close today. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give, I want to give the Holy Spirit a chance to speak to you. This is, I told you, this has been the toughest window for me to close. Pride comes before destruction. We're going to talk about the other two windows as well, but this window for me has been by far the toughest to keep closed. And I think it's because it's the most subtle. Most of the time when we open this window, we don't even realize that it's open. That's the way it has been for me anyway. I don't purposely go over and open this thing, but it kind of creeps open. And then we don't know that it's open until we hear a message like this and and then the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us and I, I was convicted writing this. I was repenting writing this. God, forgive me. I feel like the biggest hypocrite in here. You want me to speak on pride? Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will lift you up in honor. He will lift you up in honor. When you get to the place where, God, I don't expect anything from you, thank you for just letting me serve you. That's when he lifts you up. That's humility. And so I want to pray for you today. First of all, I want to pray for those of you that you trust, maybe you're like Peter and you're, you've trusted in your own strength. And maybe there's something at home that's a mess because you've got this window of pride open and you won't take advice from anybody or anything and you figure you can just do it all yourself and, and you have all the answers and, and you're trusting in your own strength. If that's you, I'm going to pray with you today. Or maybe you're in here today and you found yourself trusting in your own righteousness. This is one that I've got to check myself on frequently. It's when you Maybe you serve God all the time and there's other people that you look at, they don't serve God at all and so you kind of elevate yourself above those people in the eyes of God because you feel like you should be better than them because after all you serve God more, my righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. And so maybe if you're struggling with that, I want to pray for you today. Holy Spirit right now, I ask that you would move upon your people. I don't know where people are at, God. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know if they're struggling with these or not. I know, God, I have, and I've been faithful to confess that. Thank you, Lord, for your word that brings correction into our life. Your your word is a light unto our path. It illuminates so we can see the right path to take. And even though this is a hard word, God, today that's what your word is doing. It's illuminating the path, God, of humility for us. That if we would just confess and we would repent, we shut that window, 
you will lift us up in honor, as your word says. And so, God, I just pray for those right now. Specifically, Lord, I pray for those that are trusting in their own strength, God, that you would just speak to them right now. Not condemn them. You are not the voice of condemnation. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But, God, you do convict through your Holy Spirit. Conviction is where, oh, yeah, I'm wrong here. God, forgive me. God, I pray for those right now that are trusting in their own righteousness. God, I ask, Lord, that you would touch and speak to them in the name of Jesus. God, we surrender our pride to you today. We lay it down at your feet. We ask you, God, to to help us shut those windows. And help us to inspect this window daily, God, to keep it closed. Help us to remember, God. Holy Spirit, that you would quicken to us when when pride starts to creep in and we feel that breeze hitting us in the face. Holy Spirit, you would quicken in us even, even in that moment to help us realize what's happening. To say, nope, not today. God, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, I want you to keep your head bowed and your eyes.